Show, Sportsnet 5.9 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Man, there are little hinge points. I mean, say the Leafs win that shootout against the Bruins. They beat the, well, at that point, unbeaten in regulation Boston Bruins. I mean, that's not a regulation loss for them, but yeah, pretty significant one considering their start to the season. You bounce back with two points after that lackluster effort against the Los Angeles Kings. Mm-hmm. Like, not all as well, but the conversation is slightly different today. Like, the, the warts still exist on, the, on this hockey team, but, yeah, that single point does make it also a four-game losing streak mm-hmm. for this Leafs team that's off to the exact same start they were through 11 games a season ago. But the, the warts are still there, right? You still got all four significant additions to this team yep. being various levels of disappointing. I, I think... There's different conversations around all four of them for obvious reasons, but, like, the cap hit is part of it. The expectation is part of it. I think Tyler Bertuzzi is probably among the most concerning of the bunch. He is the most concerning. I don't know if you want to go... Okay, maybe you can throw him into this conversation. Sure. To me, like, John Klingberg is the the, the case study for this question. Mm. If you could just press a button and just to be... Uh, control Z on that thing. Right. Undo. Just make them go away. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, you got a, a hole to fill on the blue line. I guess you'd have to also reverse time because you have to go mm-hmm. back to free agency. But like yeah. you're you're just looking at league average players mm-hmm. on your blue line. Would you do that? Does Brad for a living wish he could do that through only 11 games this season? Is John Klingberg a net negative for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's interesting because I don't think Klingberg, if you told him he, let's say, let's let's change your game just a little bit. Let's say he got to press control Z, but only once. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Klingberg would be the one because the cap hit is less. He, he is a, he's a body on defense when, again, Max Lejoie played for this team on the weekend, albeit five minutes after making one mistake, but that's the kind of guy who played there. I, I don't think if you're kind of ranking the players he would do that with, he, he'd probably second or third, but I don't think he's top of that list, and I don't even know if he's second, honestly. All right, so talk about the guy that you think is first. Do you think he would do that with Tyler Bertuzzi? It's just a one-year deal, and again, this is a guy that's, is getting better. He's already been publicly admonished by the head coach. He's played in like no third yeah, periods yeah. in important games recently. Yeah, yeah publicly admonished. Uh, and then unlike Michael Bunting, when he was told he was a bad boy, he gets to go up to the top line yeah. to to earn his his keep there. I don't think Trey Living would do it yet. Truth serum, sodium pentha nerd, whatever you call it there. Uh-huh. I know what it's called, but I'll just never give it to you. The... I don't think he would do that yet. I think he still is a believer in the player, and he did that for a reason. I think this weekend coming out of it would be very concerning for Treliving in terms of that, but I think I think he would still want to let it marinate and give it some time. I, the one he for sure would do, 1,000%, Ryan Reeves. Yeah, that's, it's a, like, that's just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> and that's not... I don't think that's Ryan Reeves' fault. <laughs> no, I think Ryan Reeves is doing exactly a pretty what, good exactly. Ryan Reeves impression. And he's gotten in three fights already and yada, yada, yada. And One and, more coming tonight against Tanner Janot. Would not be surprised. And if there was uh, more of an ecosystem, a defensive uh, structure around him, you could get And certainly there is also an element of bad luck. Like I said, yep. you know, being on the ice for all these goals against, it's not all been <laughs> Ryan Reeves shooting it into his own no. net. <laughs> no. It couldn't have gotten off to a worse start and also the Leafs playing in all these close games Mm -hmm. and not winning that many yeah that that's and it's also not something that we 
that wasn't unexpected, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is a player that uh, has uh, has not been the most reliable. Is it at an advanced age and has a three year deal? It's also potentially variable in the American League if the Leafs get to that point. I don't think they're there quite yet. All right, time now for our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content at DailyFaceOff.com. How's it going, Frank? Uh, Pretty good, guys. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. It's a little bit of a crisis time in the city of, of Toronto, but again, like already, it, yeah. Well, it's listen. It's not Edmonton. You guys, no one does crisis quite like you. I was going to say already. This is this yeah. is late. Mm-hmm. It's a, the, <laughs> the exact same record as a season ago, um, but the underlying stats not so great. All the new guys seemingly like their various levels of stink. Um, is it too early to be criti- critical of of some of the new players that Brad True Living acquired in free agency? Not too early. I mean, look. To think that everyone has come in and fit like a glove, I mean, that would be a ridiculous statement. Does it take some time for these things to come together? Sometimes, but there's also sometimes where it's like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And I think there is a little bit of that going on as well. So of all the new players, and we'll remove Reeves from the equation because I think we all kind of understand what he is. Who are you the most concerned about if we just look at Bertuzzi, Domi, and, and Klingberg there in terms of uh, an inability to find a role or, or the guy who's maybe the most kind of square peg? Like, which of the three is the most concerning to you? Probably Klingberg because I think his game's gone and I don't think it's ever coming back. Don't I think disagree. Bertuzzi has had a bit of a rough start and... I think there's no question that the talent and skill is there. I think the compete is there. The hunger is there. I just think John Klingberg's game is has passed him by. Mm. I think he was a power play specialist that going back three seasons now, he was a pretty effective player. And since then, it's kind of been proven through multiple stops that he isn't. And I think they were hoping that they could have someone that comes in and takes that responsibility away from Morgan Riley on PP one and can really do a whole lot for your team. And he's really struggled. And I think we've seen enough of a sample size to know now that, you know, at age 31, you know, whatever it might be, you're probably not finding a fountain of youth again. Are the Leafs worse this year on paper or in, in reality? I mean, you can take both sides of it. You can take the eye test. You can take the numbers. Is this, a worse Leafs team with the exact same record through 11 games than we saw a year ago? I think they're better on paper and worse in reality. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think I think it does. I think a lot of people were doing the, well, I like Pertuzzi better than Domi. I, or, or, sorry, I like Pertuzzi better than Bunting. I like Domi better than I like Klingberg. I like, or, or uh, sorry, Kerfoot. And I like Klingberg better than I like Hall. I don't know that I personally agree with those, but I do think that was a pretty kind of prevailing sentiment of the, the offseason moves made. And then again, Reeves is kind of his own, completely own discussion. So yeah, I do think that's kind of how it was viewed, Frank. Yeah, and that's that's kind of how I feel about it. And, you know, I, I thought all week, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that this was even lingering in my brain, but I thought all week about our conversation oh. last week. Well, thank you, Frank. We and think you about had, you, too. You, <laughs> uh, you had said, why can't we have a season like the Bruins are having or mm-hmm. the Avs or the Golden Knights? 
And I thought about the answer to that for a while, and I'm, I was embarrassed that I didn't say it at the time. And the answer is because this team isn't that good. Yeah. They're not as good as those teams. Mm-hmm. They're supposed There's to a be, real though. deficiency when it comes to this team's defense core that I think is exposed time and time again. Now, that being said, I mean, we, we also thought about our conversation with you. Um, and, you know, I, I think later on in that program, I may have even mentioned the Leafs over the last three years are fourth in the National Hockey League as far as wins, right? Like, this has been a good regular season team. They've, they've been That's why I made the joke about panic and, and whatever <laughs> you guys were saying. Like, it's November 6th, and they're fine. Mm. They're not... They're not knocking it out of the park but by all measures and counts like they're they're gonna make it i guess i think they're gonna make it but i think the i think the overwhelming concern coming out of this weekend is just that it is the thing and not to say that this is the only thing they tried to address but you know there were a lot of conversations about you look at a bertuzzi you look at a reeves you look at a domi it's a nastier team it's a team with more bite and I don't know that that is what's been the critical flaw of this team, but I think there's a lot of people that do think that that killer instinct or however you want to word it is what's been holding this group back. And to see two, and again, we'll just Park Reeves, two guys in Domi and Bertuzzi who were brought in to do that, to change that. And it shouldn't be on two guys. But Why do just, we keep parking Reeves? I don't understand. Well, I, don't I, mean, like, I, I think the reason we this park... This is literally the only reason he's here. <laughs> well, and my point on that is that I, I think we have seen this movie before, be it with Wayne Simmons, be it with Kyle Clifford. And I understand Reeves is a different animal with those guys, but how many times have they stapled the biggest, toughest guy they could find to the fourth line and it hasn't changed a thing? So I think that's why the panic, the, maybe it's not panic, but the, the worry is there is that they went and got the biggest, best of those guys that they could possibly get and it still doesn't seem to be enough to wait this group And they up. still just kind of looked at each other and were like, hey, you going to get this one? Exactly. Is this my turn? Like, what, what, what's happening here? <laughs> and that, that part is the part that I struggle with is there should be no question. There should be, it should be instinctual. As you mentioned, the killer instinct, you don't buy it. You have it. Yeah. And they brought some of it in. And yet that sort of complacency still seems to permeate through whatever the dressing room is. So Frank, I was just okay. going to say, I don't, I don't mean to take any of that away from the players, but you know, we've done the, we've done this topic a million times. Well, you can't tra- trade the whole team. You can change the coach. I don't think it's Sheldon Keith's fault. He called them to task. He said he did not like the response, but do you think there's, where some... was the response on Saturday then? Exactly. This is what I'm getting at. Do you think there is some element of, and I realize they just gave him a contract extension, but uh, money ain't going to be what holds MLSC back in this thing. Do you think there's some element of, that if the core isn't going to change, and I'm not saying it can't or it shouldn't, but if it's not going to, you do need a different voice there kind of leading things from behind the bench. I personally don't think that bringing in a new coach or a different voice is going to change whatever the heartbeat of the team is. The soul or lack thereof. If you don't have it, you you don't have it. And I just think that involves a larger discussion about what that change ends up looking like Mm -hmm. eventually. And I'm not saying that they can't, you know, at some point find a better way to play and uh, be more consistent and maybe we make too much of this at times, you know, the exact conversation of what we're having. But you've got to step up. And that's one thing that I think has been missing. Now, is it the end-all, be-all? I don't – how much does it weigh into the calculation of – 
Stanley Cup champions have what percentage of this? I, I don't know, but it would seem to be more than what the Leafs have had. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that won a series against the Lightning team that also like had Steven Stamkos punching Austin Matthews in the face with like no response, right? Like this is they 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 won that series, but also it I mean, they got outplayed over the six games in an overall sense and then bowed out pretty meekly to a Panthers team that also had a a, a physical part of it. I just yeah, I think we're at the point here, Frank, that if you're going to have those guys the, the the four guys at the the very tippy top of the cap sheet, the the focal point of this team it doesn't matter who you add outside of that. Like that is, that is the nature of this team that, that, you know, I guess Kyle Dubas. That's why I use the word permeates. Yeah. It's it's, uh, yeah, it's over. And like that permeates to guys that didn't have that when they arrived in Max Domi and Tyler Bertuzzi. It's not those guys, you know, imparting their sensibilities to the, the guys making all the money. It's all the guys making all the money, you know, turning those guys into closer to what they are. It makes sense to me. I, I think it it lulls you. Being a Toronto Maple Leaf lulls you to a sense of complacency, <laughs> and I don't know why that is. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, there's been a certain disease that's been floating around in these parts for many a years. I think that's the <laughs> thing we've been talking about. Honestly, I mean, it's got, I mean, this is not a Shanahan tenure thing. We're talking about this when Burke was in charge, and I mean, honestly, in the Harold Ballard days, we've been talking about this stuff. Like it is for forever. It's so many conversations I've had, and you know, I don't, I don't think you want to put it on one player because I don't think you look at Austin Matthews and say that ah, there's the problem. I don't think you look at Mitch Marner or John Tavares or William Nylander. But God, how much different would it be if just one of them was? Wired like a psycho, like yeah. a Nathan McKinnon, like a Brad Marchand. And, you know, Sidney Crosby's his own animal of it. I guess John Tavares is maybe somewhat similar to that. But it doesn't, you know, when you look at John Tavares and I, God love the guy, it's just, it's impossible to get any emotion out of him. Like even the Leafs, they put out their fun Halloween video where Ryan Reeves is scaring guys and Tavares goes, Oh, you you really shocked me there. And I do believe he shocked him. It's just he is such a flat heartbeat guy, which is great to have in the market, but they can't all be that way. And that that's the thing I just think we keep keep coming back to. Yeah, and I think maybe the one guy of those four that has, I think, the unquestioned fire in his belly is the one guy who makes the least and is a pending unrestricted free agent that they can't seem to get a deal done with that might be walking out the door and in July. Yeah, it's weird. I've been saying it for years. He's the one get to the playoffs. He's the one guy I've never had any concern about. No, he is the guy in William Nylander who raises his game. But yeah, I still don't I don't know. I, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing though, too, because yeah, I am thinking about a physical like getting in somebody's face and <laughs> can't stop but get the image of game one of the season where it felt like this was a new Leafs team against the Montreal Canadiens. They get into a scrum, like the first sign of, mm-hmm. of somebody taking a hack at Ilya Samsonov, and everybody's jumping to his defense, and it was like, all right. We did our thing. There now we, we go. Prove, we proved, proved to you the point. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been nothing since then. I shouldn't say nothing because there were fighting majors in, war, in what, the first three games of the season. But anyways, yeah, in an overall sense, you, sh- you shouldn't be panicking in Toronto as much as they're panicking in some other Canadian markets, most notably. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you wake up today and you say, well, at least we're not the Flames. Yeah, or the Oilers for that matter, because the expectations, yeah, I get it. Like the Flames should have, I mean, they had more points during the regular season last year than the Panthers did. And yeah, obviously there are expectations to make the playoffs, but that's different than being Stanley Cup favorites like they were in Edmonton going into the season. And at uh, this moment, they only have two more wins than the San Jose Sharks and only four more points through now 10 games. 
Uh, how legit is the, the Jay Woodcroft, uh, like, hot Even seat mentioning stuff? a team in the Sharks is just, in the same sentence, Hilarious. it's just so wrong. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's, it, they've but, been outscored 55-12, to 12 and they've lost their last two games, like, 20-1. to 1. Yeah, but they're only one spot ahead of them in the in the, in the wildcard standings in, in the Western Come Conference. I, okay. Are you going to... They're in di- a different league. <laughs> are... are are you downplaying the panic that is probably taking place in Edmonton right now? Uh, I'm not downplaying it. I think they've got 10 games to figure it out. And it's funny, Connor, Connor McDavid was mentioning the math involved and how they started seven and three last year, but after 20 games, they were 10 and 10. And they have an ability to get to that point again, and it won't be shocking if they do. But if they let another 10 games slip away essentially by the end of this month and they're not any closer, you could turn out the lights. Like the math just becomes overwhelming. And basically what they're looking at right now is something like 45, 46 wins in their last 72 games. That's the math to get in. That's the bare minimum. You can't really do any worse than that or else you're out. Can can this Euler team do that? Yeah, I mean they closed last year 14-0 and 1 and they're virtually unchanged. <laughs> they could, but they've got a lot of work ahead of them and I think they're in a they're a team in a spot with probably you mentioned some bad luck when you were talking about the Leafs to start. I, I think they've had some criminal luck mm. in terms of they've probably lost three games they should have won if you watch real closely. Mm-hmm. But Almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Like, that's it. So, you know, don't give me the moral victories. You know, oh, it's early in the season. We'll get it together. There's two things holding them back. One, they're goaltending. And two, um, their stars, they've been fine, but they haven't been next level. Like, we've yet to see Connor McDavid in, in human video game mode this season. And I don't know why that is. I don't think it's all tied to the injury. Something just seems a bit off this year to start. Yeah, I mean, we see it all the time in sports. There's just a year, like a nightmare season, and it gets off to a bad start. And, you know, the McDavid injury, obviously, uh, they they skirted major, major panic there in terms of the, the length of time. But, yeah, it's just not been going well. I always wonder about a team in the situation that the Oilers in where expectations are just not meeting up with reality. And, you know, maybe this is way too strong of a way to put it, but do you think that there is uh, – we still live in a world in the NHL where we see the old panic trade of a team just needing to shake them things up, moving away from their plan. I mean, I know it's so much harder with the cap the way it is, but I do wonder if they're – you know, uh, Oilers and Flames trades, they do happen hard enough to see. But do you see a world where – and not not those two specifically, but just two teams that aren't having the, the year they'd like to are able to get together on a kind of change of scenery trade for some of these? Or do you think it's just too hard with the cap the way it is? I love it. <clears throat> But I would say what we see way more often is the panicked coaching change. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the longer this drags on, the more Jay Woodcroft opens himself up to that. Yeah. Um, I, I think, look, there's, you, you, as I've just mentioned the math, you can only afford to mess around for so long before you can get things moving in the right direction. And I don't, I don't think it's a coaching change net required. I think they're, if you look at Jay Woodcroft and the success he's had, I'd say of, over the last 10 to 15 years, the only coach that's been in Edmonton that's better than Jay Woodcroft is Todd McClellan. 
who they probably shouldn't have fired to begin with. But they're in this spot now, and it's a lot easier, as we just said, with you know, we were talking about earlier with the Leafs, it's a lot easier to change the coach than it is to change out some of these players. Yeah, uh, would uh, certainly help if they got uh, some league average goaltending there in Edmonton as well. Uh, just like not, nothing crazy, just like a 900. <laughs> tough ask, though, in this tough is ask that, sometimes. Is that so much to ask? Uh, Frank, always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Have a good week, guys. You too. Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content, dailyfaceoff.com. He was our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley North Lexus. Dot com. How long do you think that conversation will stick with him? He was very yeah. he was very upset to admit that he had just been thinking glowingly. Yeah. I'm going to add in <laughs> some other adjectives here. Just glowingly thinking about how much he enjoys chatting with us. Mm-hmm. And we asked yeah. such interesting questions Question. that he, his brain was really spinning. Mm-hmm. I, know, I think it's at least a week until we talk to him again on Monday. He's like, I meant to say that's one thing, but I took <laughs> six days to figure it out because you guys had my brain in a pretzel. No, I think the biggest thing... That we keep coming back to is, yeah, the four guys that have created what is a great, great regular season team. And you take it over, yeah, man. man, so many seasons we've seen over the we, last The Oilers years. might miss the playoffs. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, the Leafs never miss, right? And they have exhilarating regular with incredible individual performances, including a 60-goal season. And 99 points from Mitch Marner. <laughs> Some great, great stuff. But... What do we keep coming back to? Something, some fatal flaw that that keeps popping up in the postseason didn't over six games, I guess, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But again, like we saw them go through similar stuff against Tampa this postseason is that the four guys that are the face of this yeah. friend, like none of them have, like if just one of them, that's, I think you, you yes. mentioned it. If just one of them, and it felt like when John Tavares was, acquired in yeah. free agency when he decided to abandon the eight-year yeah. extension offered to him by the Islanders and become a Toronto Maple Leaf mm-hmm. and, and join his hometown team for $77 million as a former captain, that that would be part of his MO. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, man. Like, that's just not the player. Austin Matthews, you'd, again, okay. you'd, you'd, you'd rather take the 60 goals than some guy that Let scored me- 40 and, and was going to get in a fight three times a year. Let me throw a sliding doors at you. I think the answer to this is no, but let's talk about it. If um, the shenanigans that happen in Arizona don't happen and Austin Matthews is potentially named captain of this Leafs team instead of John Tavares, Mm -hmm. like we remember what happened there. Mm -hmm. Is he a different player? Does he feel like he has more ownership of it? I don't, I think the answer to that is no, but I don't think it's a completely unfair question to ask that if you just slap a C on that guy's chest and say, Hey, it's yours, man. It's not, it's not yours and Mitch and Willie and John. No, it's yours. You're the face of the franchise. You're going to be the greatest Leaf of all time. You're going to lead this team to the promised land. It's entirely possible. It doesn't change anything. It's entirely possible. But I'd be, much like Frank thinks about our conversations all the time, I'd be lying to tell you how often I think about that. Man, I, I, I've tried to bring this up, and I keep, like... Every time I bring it up mm-hmm. with somebody... Well, because it sounds like you're saying John Tavares is a bad captain, and I would never, ever utter those words because I think he is an incredible captain. And quite honestly, 
if you just ask me personality wise, the absolute perfect guy to wear the C in this market. Mm-hmm. Nothing bothers him. Yeah. I don't even I don't even think he remembers he's Leafs captain half the time. Like it's <laughs> the favorite it's his favorite thing, it's the thing he's most proud of, yeah. but he's like, Oh, that's right. I yeah. do have this incredible responsibility well, that would crush most people. And I think it also sounds stupid when you're talking about literal like fabric stitching yeah. on a on a hockey sweater being impactful to a Leafs team winning playoff series. But I I I don't discount the possibility that that is a factor, that there's, there, there is some, yeah, unwillingness for Austin Matthews to give his whole heart to an organization that would not give its, its, its most, it must be said, yeah. highest honor that like, it can give as far as, yeah, I, I don't know. The, what's a higher honor than being captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Something that he wanted, something yeah. that by the numbers he had earned, something that he didn't get. Mm-hmm. Like, how is there not a, a secondary level of buy-in if you're wearing the C? I don't even look at it as a secondary level of buy-in. I just look at it as almost like hitting the Nas booster on what he could be. Because yeah. I think when people hear secondary level of buy-in, you think he's... And I'm, I know you're not saying this, but like I think people hear that and say, all right, John, lead the team. Let's go. You're the captain. And I highly doubt that's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. But if you go to a guy at, you know, what is he? He's 26, 27 now. This would have been when he's... I think 23 years old. Imagine what it would do to somebody. Yeah. And hey, like, I don't think this would have happened to him either, but entirely possible, like, the expectations of that can crush a guy and make you not become the thing you're supposed to be. I don't think that would have happened. But imagine what it does to you. You're 23 years old and you get given the car keys to the greatest thing in the sport you care about the most and you've made your life. How how can it not spurn you on a little more? It, I, I, Grand scheme of things, I don't know, but it is it is a such a good sliding doors moment, oh, sliding buddy. doors question. I do a lot of sodium pentothal talk on mm-hmm. this this show, but like I do wonder how even some of the the off season, like the contract stuff, how those conversations are <laughs> I, different. The contract goes. Let me tell you, the contract goes the exact same. No, but the, but the reality is that it's been proven now yep. a couple of times. I mean, he didn't sign an eight year extension, but oh. he's going to be here throughout. Like the majority of his career, however long it lasts, that totally. the guy loves being a Toronto Maple Leaf. Mm-hmm. And and I guess we had to see it to believe it. It's a lot easier to believe, though, if he's wearing the C. Yep. Going into a, an extension conversation with, with Brad Treliving. Yeah, I just, it's it's something I, I spend a lot of time thinking about. The other thing I, uh, this has been recent, but just we, we mentioned it with Frank there. Go back and watch that scrum against Montreal. Ask, just show it to Tyler Bertuzzi and then show him the gif of him laughing on the bench and just ask what happened mm-hmm. because there, there's no reason should have been more mad about what happened in the first game against Montreal than what happened about, and uh, you know, it's not like he was a lifelong Bruin, but it's his former team and him yucking it up Dude, at the uh, biggest rat in the game. Like it is just, I'm trying to remember what the first one, it was, I think it was literally an extra, uh, like a, a it, slash on Samsonov. That was, was it. Covering and, the then, puck. and then he, ju- and then he went in and then Matthews jumped in and then Gio, Gio came off the, off top, the top rope. Ropes, yeah. yeah. It was awesome. What happened? <laughs> what happened? And I, I, I don't know how you can look at it. I don't think, I don't think Tyler Bertuzzi was snake bit through his first 10 games. I know he had a couple goals here, but I don't think it was the lack of production that said, well, I better peel back and not be physical. I don't think that's what happened. I think it's, and man, I can't believe it's Gord Stellick of all people who relayed that wonderful Jay's anecdote to us about, about Cohn coming over and going, why are you guys so mad about everything? Cause we're in the fight with each other. Right. And I, I wish it were different, but I don't know how you can see that Leafs team and not say that it's, it's infecting the new guys versus the other way around. Yep. It's not great. 
Fun times. Uh, Toronto Argonauts playoff football is back. Saturday, November 11th, the defending Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts facing off against the Montreal Alouettes at BMO Field, 3 p.m., to decide who gets to go to the Grey Cup final in Hamilton to enter for a chance to win two tickets. Check out the action. Text today's code word KELLY to 59590. Again, today's code word is KELLY. Text this into 59590 right now to enter for your chance to win tickets to Saturday's game. We're giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow, but if you don't win with us, you can secure your tickets at, uh, to Saturday's game at Ticketmaster.ca. When we come back, Scotty Barnes is doing the thing. We'll talk to Blake Murphy of the Raptors show next as the fan morning show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight away. Backs off, gives it to Barnes on the wing far side. Scotty, three ball to tie it. Yes, sir! Bucket for Barnes! He He's not shying away from those moments. He's craving those moments. And I'm blessed uh, to have a player uh, like, like Scotty to to put him in those situations, you know, and uh, um, he did he did it all in the second half. He rebounded the ball, he was pushing the ball in transition. We had only three turnovers in the second half um, uh, as, a, as, a, as a group, and uh, he, he shot the ball really, really well. So he's a gamer and he loves those moments. So he, put, he, he did a great, amazing job. And he's seven inches shorter than Victor Webanyama. Uh, but Scotty Barnes getting the best of him. Yesterday, as the Raptors come back from down 19 points at halftime, thanks to uh, Scotty Barnes, an incredible second half, specifically fourth quarter, come back and beat the San Antonio Spurs. Now just a game under 500. Let's talk to our pal Blake Murphy of the Raptors show. Good morning, Blake. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm better than I uh, would have been if that game kept going the way it was in the first half. That's a big, a big whiplash in a uh, vibe for the show today for you guys and for us on the Raptors show later. 35 points at halftime was, yeah, that, that was a rough one, man, in an era in which uh, teams routinely score over 110. Uh, but, yeah, they bounced back with an incredible uh, 36 points in the third quarter, 39 in the fourth, and and so many uh, so many of them off the hands of Scotty Barnes, who finishes with 36 straight now with at least 20 for, for Scotty. Like, what are we watching here, man? It's, it's hard not to think we're, we're, we're watching the emergence of a, a potential superstar. No, you're watching it, and this reaction is not unique to Toronto. It's not a hometown-only uh, thinking that Scotty Barnes has had something click for him. This is the reaction you're starting to see from national media as well, certainly from opponents in the attention that they give him. Um, something has, you know, after a sophomore year where, yeah, there were some improvements, but, you know, the statistical baseline was basically the same. There were the ups and downs, you know, off the court that were reported. Uh, something has clicked for him. And even though this talent level was there, you know, certainly in the past, he, he won rookie of the year and he's been a, an effective player for the Raptors. You know, something has obviously clicked here. The level of aggression when the chips are down or when the Raptors are in a lull, that kind of sense of, you know what? No motion offense this time. I got to take over. I got to attack. Um, that has changed dramatically. The three-point shooting, it's still a small sample, but if you're hitting step-back threes in transition or those sides, like pump <laughs> fake and sidestep threes, like those are the threes that top ball handlers 
shoot. And I don't know that he's going to shoot 42% on them, but even having that in your bag whatsoever dramatically changes how an opponent has to guard you and could open up even more for him driving inside. So uh, a lot of stuff is clicking right now. Obviously, the the offensive numbers are what they are, um, and, and they're very, very impressive. But to me, the most encouraging thing is that that takeover instinct where a couple times now he has just dominated for an entire quarter or in this game pulled the Raptors back from the brink in like like that tied the biggest fourth quarter comeback in franchise history. And he didn't do it alone, but like he was leading the charge and had, had the, the kind of reins in his hand the whole way. It's it's really, really fun. Yeah, I was getting some flashbacks to uh, to Lowry and the Scrubs against the Mavs right before yeah. Christmas of the comeback, right? Like you you saw it there, and again, obviously the team wasn't as as shorthanded as uh, as they were that day. But you know, so much of the conversation about Barnes has been the fit with Siakam, and you know, I think that there clearly hasn't been a seamless fit for both of them. Obviously, Barnes has ascended, and Siakam's kind of had a, a rough start to the year there. Um, I don't know how long for the course this is. Obviously, you know, Siakam's on the team for now. There's been talk about a trade. The extension talk is uh, a little harder to come by just how do you think those two fit and is there a is there a path where they fit together long term for this team I mean there's a path like I I know that the way it's looked at times is that only one of them can get going at a time every good team has more than one good player and mm. more than one good score like on paper two large wings who can both attack mismatches and are good playmakers, those guys should be additive together, not like a mutually exclusive success thing. It obviously hasn't happened early this year. And, um, you know, I think more of that falls on Pascal Siakam than on the overall fit. Like, yes, the, the new offensive dynamic does not do wonders for their spacing, and that can make things difficult. But Siakam also shot one of six on open shots at the rim yesterday. Like, he's been a little snake-bitten. He's, he you know, fell, he's, Blake, he fell down on a fast break where yeah. he was just one-on-one with the guy and lost the ball. Yeah, and and again, one of six on, on open looks at the rim yesterday. And that's, you know, yeah, Wemby's on that team, but he wasn't around for those field goal attempts. So a lot of this is just, you know, Siakam's going through it a little bit right now. Now, having said that, I, I so I think the fit, you can figure it out. You can have two guys with these skill sets succeed together. But the more Scotty Barnes is ascending like this, the more I think it makes sense to, hey, you've got a guy who the fit is questionable you've got a coach that's talking in development terms you've got a young ascending superstar who is what seven and a half years younger like I I think we're going to hear more about potential Siakam trades before we hear something about a Siakam extension it just again I don't want to do the whole thing where because Barnes is good Siakam can't be but you know we we've thought that these timelines maybe can't coexist for a while here and I do wonder if at some point they have to be realistic about what maximizes around Scotty and when. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking differently about what you'd be looking for in return for Pascal Siakam at the deadline. Honestly, I'm looking back at the Jakob Pertle trade a little bit differently if this is going to be Scotty Barnes. Like, I'm thinking about more immediate help. Like, not that the, the Raptors are win- ready to win a championship, but, like, if Scotty Barnes is is a top 15 player in the NBA, it's not like you're looking, all right, let's accumulate some more first-round picks and some more young players. Like, no, aren't you thinking about more immediate help if you if you are trading Pascal Siakam at the deadline? 
Yeah, I think so. Maybe maybe not immediate as in like right now, but I think, you know, if you revisit talks with the Pacers, for example, then Andrew Nembart probably becomes more valuable than what would be a late first round pick, right? Because he's a guy who can slide in the rotation now. You know what he is. Um, you know, if you look at, I don't know, pick pick your team, you're, you're probably, you know, if you engage with the Thunder, you probably care more about getting a prospect back who is in the rotation now versus their wealth of, you know, pick seven years from now. Um, so I think that part's accurate. I think the other thing it does too is if you look at who has succeeded so far this year and who looks really good next to Barnes, I mean, you guys know I've always felt this way, but I'm not trading OG Ananobi who fits no. Scotty Barnes' timeline and looks like like Scotty or OG's only 26. You know, you, you're in a good position to re-sign him this offseason, even if he doesn't want to do an extension right now. Um, the three-point shooting, the defense around him, how he's fit in around that. I, I think, yeah, that's that's the other change here is, you know, I've always thought you should keep OG, but now I really think you should keep OG. Yeah, um, and the three-point shooting um, looks a lot better if 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 Scotty Barnes is going to hit 42% of his threes, which he's doing right now at, at at the highest volume he's ever taken in his career as well. Like, that, that is the area where you do get into, like, small sample size theater, like, like, I don't know what is what is reasonable. Like, what's the highest improvement in three-point per, uh, percentage that you've ever seen in an individual season year over year? Because Scotty, on 2.9 attempts per game a season ago, was a 28% three-point shooter. He's taking over five a game in seven games this season and shooting 41 or 42%. Like, how reasonable an expectation is it for him to be a near 40% three-point shooter? Yeah, I mean, the actual example is on this roster where in 2017, 2018, Pascal Siakam had the worst three-point shooting season in league history and shot 37% on threes the next year. Um, he obviously hasn't sustained as that guy, um, but that's the most recent kind of example. Now, with Scotty, there are a couple things you want to look at here, right? You're, you're right, it's a small sample. You need a ton of threes before that three-point percentage stabilizes, but there are a couple things working in his favor, and that includes he's also shooting really well on mid-range and long twos. That's a similar skill set, so we can kind of expand the sample that way. And then the other thing that's really encouraging is he's not taking easy catch-and-shoot wide-open corner threes. These are really difficult, guarded, often pull-up threes above the break. So if you're talking about what he is as a three-point shooter, you're more encouraged by a 38-attempt sample that is more difficult than if these were 38 corner threes. And I don't think Scotty needs to be a 42% three-point shooter. I think you need that weapon to be enough that teams have to make a tough decision of, can you go under against a Scotty Barnes pick and roll? If he's isolating, do you have to pick him up above the three-point line? Or can you still sit back so that he can't get ahead of steam on you? Um, you know, when it comes to a star's usage profile and how you're going to have the ball in your hands and in what situations it's really, you know, you want them to have to respect the three. You don't have to be Kawhi Leonard, Paul George shooting the three, but you have to have it to a respectable degree to bend the defense. And that'll be the question here is how long does he have to stay at this level or somewhere near it before, you know, a defense isn't super comfortable dropping way back. Um, you know, you even saw it. There was one possession yesterday where someone made kind of a, they got kind of stuck in between that. Do I go under? Do I try to close out on him? What do I do? And he just blew by into the paint for a dunk. And that's, you know, if he's even a 36, 37% three point shooter, 
that opens up for him uh, against opposing defenses. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you make there, that he doesn't have to become a true, like, dead-eye knockdown guy. It's just enough to get re- get enough respect there to kind of open up the, the rest of his game, which is obviously more of his strength. And, hey, if, uh, if the three-point shot is what it is right now, I will gladly take that as well. Uh, in terms of the coaching change that was made this year, Coach Darko, a lot was brought, made of his ability to be a development guy. Uh, what have you, what, and, you know, Ben made this point earlier in the show that it's kind of funny how he's now going to get credit for this Scotty Barnes leap, even though I, he just kind of got here. Uh, what have you made of coach Darko's job with the expanded rotation and, uh, and with the team so far this year? Yeah, I think it's still a work in progress. Um, I thought yesterday his second half and overtime were really, really strong. And I mean that rotation-wise, tactics-wise. I I just thought he had a really good game and really helped the team steer out of that, including, you know, how are you positioning? Because OG hit four threes in the first half, and San Antonio starts changing how they guard him. They put Wemby on him in the weak corner. And how do you adjust how you're attacking the paint around Wemby? They came out of halftime, and I think three of the first four possessions were little dump-offs to Jakob where they successfully kept the ball away from Wemby's area of the floor. Um, so little things like that. I thought the rotation patterns late were good. The auto Porter gambit was, was a, you know, that turned out to be a, a really strong one. So um, yesterday was good. You know, look, playing more guys is going to be a challenge at times. Malachi Flynn had a really good game yesterday. He's obviously been up and down. Uh, Gary Trent had a nice game yesterday. He's been really up and down. Uh, the threes still aren't falling for Grady Dick. He, he's going to have to, and mm-hmm. this isn't just on him. This is on everyone. Those bench pieces are going to take some time still. At the offensive level, um, you know, right now the their offense is still a little bit more in the phase of, well, it's a lot of passing and dribble handoff for the sake of it. Like they lead the league in passes per game, but they're not, you know, near the tippy top in assists. They're not... They're not creating a ton of advantages off of that, but you probably need more than seven games for all of that stuff to take hold. And they've at least done a good job of, hey, you know, we can't, we haven't scored six, seven possessions in a row. It's time to go to a Schroeder Pascal pick and roll to get a mismatch, or it's time to clear out for Scotty and let him go to work in the post. Um, they, they'll have to continue finding that balance. And then, Honestly, the big thing, defensively, they've been great. They, they've mm-hmm. been really, really good. They have executed this, hey, we're going to scale back the aggression. We're not going to sell out for turnovers. Uh, we're going to be a little more sound defensively. They have the number one opponent effective field goal percentage in basketball. So field goal percentage that accounts for the extra value of threes. Uh, they've significantly cut down the number of corner threes they give up. They've cut down the number of attempts at the rim they give up. Um, so I, I've been pretty impressed on that. And I'm not entirely surprised because they have all the defensive personnel you'd need to do that. Um, but that side of the ball is clicking really well so far. Uh, Wemby's good, right? Yeah. Talk about the freak. Yeah. Talk yeah. about him. He looks really, really good. I mean, OG said it perfectly. He's like, he's tall. He's, 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 he's so tall. He's <laughs> <laughs> stupid tall. And and they used him plenty, and he played 38 minutes. They didn't use him enough, like, especially at the end. Of, how does he not get a touch of that final possession? Yeah, I mean, OG did a good job fighting him off of the, like, fighting him away from his spot. I thought for sure we were getting the old Tyson Chandler play yeah. where uh, on an inbound, offensive goaltending doesn't exist. You could just throw it at the basket and let Wemby go up and get it. Um, so credit to OG for for keeping him out of his spots. But this is a little bit, it seems like maybe Popovich doesn't want to give him too much too fast and to let this develop slowly. Like, they almost did not use him as a screener at all yesterday. Like you would think a Trey Jones, Wemby pick and roll, 
is the bread and butter for that offense when, when they need uh, a bucket. And they really didn't go to that much. Um, so, yeah, I think they're trying to be methodical about this. He obviously didn't shoot the ball as, as well as he can in, in that game. Um, I thought OG and Scotty and Jakob did a decent job. He's he's awesome, though. Like, if you consider that, not that you could consider a 20-point game for a rookie a bad game, but, you know, compare it to, say, the first time he saw the Suns, uh, and then he comes back the very next time against the Suns and drops 38 on them because he's figured out how to adjust and what he needs to do differently against that team. Like this kid, in addition to being very huge and very good has shown a real capacity to like, okay, I can improve game to game because I learned this. This is what they did against me. It's scary. The playmaking too yesterday. Holy cow. With the the touch pass into the paint. Like (laughs) what doesn't he have? I, I know, and the touch pass into the paint where they threw that ball to him in a way that you can't throw that to anyone else. Like, he, the baseline is where it is, but he really does expand the floor for San Antonio. Like, you have an extra foot or two at the end of the baseline because he can catch everything. It's ridiculous. No, it's stupid. Uh, I think you should be happy if you're a Spurs fan. I mean, you yeah. had, what, like a half decade where you're kind of in the wilderness there, but uh, they got it again. And, yeah, that, that team is going to be back into a championship contention window sooner rather than later. Uh, Blake, uh, it's great to hear from you, buddy. Talk again soon. Thanks for having me on, guys. See you, man. Uh, Blake Murphy of the Raptors show. (laughs) I hate doing this so quickly after we, I asked like Grange a couple of shows ago about like, hey, is this like one of the worst teams in the NBA? Yeah. That seems so stupid right now. And yeah, they're, I don't know if they're one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, but yeah, it does hold your feel, horses. It feels like if you have a top 15 player, which Scotty Barnes is increasingly looking like he is, how are you not talking about a team that's not a playing team in the Eastern Conference? You're you're talking about a playoff team like that. If, if this is what you're getting out of Scotty Barnes, it's a dereliction of duty by somebody if this team is not a playoff team. There's definitely something to that. Uh, the fact that Siakam clearly has more he can show this year. I don't think he forgot how to play basketball over over the offseason. I think even even people who are down on this team saw the possibility of there being a four or five seed. I still need, I mean, look at the guys who are playing a ton of minutes for this team. Grady Dick, who like, hey, future's bright. Not right now. Malachi Flynn, we talked about it. It's up and down. There's still a lot of question marks on this team. Uh, so I'm not ready. I'm not that hungry. Not going to be doing any crow eating just yet. Yeah. No, not that the, I didn't say that they were going to be the worst team in the NBA. I just said the possibility yeah, existed, especially with the way the offense looked mm-hmm. early on Very gummy. this yeah. season. Um, and it's not just vibes, I guess, that are changing. Unless like when, when Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri talked about mm-hmm. vibes, it was around one guy in particular. And, and you know what? I can't rule out that possibility yeah. because so much of the conversation around him was, hey, a flat line progression like not mm-hmm. much of a progression at all during the course of a regular season but also a guy that you know at, at 21 years old who's maybe not ready for all that entails being um an elite player in the nba and some off-court stuff maybe impacting yeah. his ability to to perform at a high level remember early on in the season messiah jerry's like flying out to new york yeah. to have conversations yeah, with him if we're talking about vibes around one guy and that being the difference between what the 2022-2023 version of Scotty Barnes and what we're seeing in 
Okay, you should have been more specific in talking about vibes. It goes... The Scotty Barnes vibes is what you should have said. Well, honestly, it goes to the conversation we had about Matthews in, in the last block. You know, Coach Darko comes in, and I don't think he sat there and said, it's your team, Scotty. Everything goes through you. But clearly, it's a guy who has more trust in him and a better relationship than he had with Nurse. A guy at a super important time in his his basketball career, mm-hmm. getting more of the car keys or having more more rope to run with. I don't know. It's uh, it, it does have a lot of the parallels, what we talked about with Matthews and the captaincy. Well, and also... Also, it's different than being a late first-round selection like Pascal Siakam was. Like, emerging as a a rotation piece, unbelievable. It's the best player, even on a team that only won 41 games. Unbelievable, like, the the one percentage outcome for Pascal Siakam as opposed to Scotty Barnes, who's the fourth overall selection. Mm -hmm. Okay, A little different. He exceeded expectations in winning the Rookie of the Year, but this is not, like, if you ask Scotty Barnes what he hoped his career would look like, it's progressing to this for sure uh, in the early stages of his career all right we'll be back tomorrow mm-hmm. after a, another leaf game that we're going to tonight yes we are leafs and uh, lightning uh, this has been the fan morning show sports at 590 the fan good, good morning, morning.